Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend, my colleague, and my co-host, Ross Ferguson. We're back in the booth. We're back in the booth. What are you drinking, man? It looks like it's Coke, not Iron Brew. Coke Zero. Oh, Coke Zero. Coke Zero. I you, thought you weren't a yeah. zero-calorie cola yeah. person. Well, see, I remember we went, we were traveling to, I think it was a men's conference or men's retreat or something like yeah. that, and you got a Coke Zero and you said, it's the best drink. And I said, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm never going to change. I refuse to drink it. Mm. But then uh, sanctification kicks in. <laughs> And then now I basically only drink Coke Zero rather than normal Coke. There you go. So, and it's just, uh, you know, trading out the sugar. My dentist is very happy. Okay. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big Coke Zero guy. It's usually like my dessert for yeah. the day is I'll have oh, a Coke no. Zero in the afternoon, maybe one at night. Yeah. No, dessert has to have sugar. So <laughs> Coke Zero is not a dessert time. Not a dessert time. Hey, how did the semester finish off for you? It finished off well. I, I had only online classes okay. this this semester, so no residential, which was good because I did a lot of traveling, but was able to kind of keep up, you know, online because you know if, yeah. you, if you have the internet. I also had one of our one of our PTC guys, uh, Caden, was uh, served as my grader for both classes, so I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> <great>. <laughs> I just had to you know weigh in when there were um, significant issues, and for the um, one of the courses was a live okay. course, so I you know I I did. Weekly lectures and yeah. and Q and A everything on on you know over Zoom or whatever we use Microsoft yeah. Teams yeah but yeah Did, it was good it was kind of a I, I want to say low maintenance but I don't want to say that publicly because then they're gonna be like oh we're not working them hard well, enough I think you just did, so. <laughs> did well I'm back in the classroom <laughs> for the spring I'm I've actually, got two residential classes that I'm teaching so. and I'm taking one of those classes I know you're taking the writing course I'm I was just looking course. over the roster yeah uh, th- this last week because I was uh, uploading yeah. the syllabus and all that sort of thing have, I, have you seen I've, the syllabus I've read through the syllabus and some of it already makes me nervous <laughs> <laughs> well here's something that you, that you don't know you, you should be happy about. So in the past iterations of the writing course, there's been a big midterm project yep. and a big final project. Okay. And I just X those out. Okay. There's no midterm, there's no final. It's just I'll take that. The weekly writing assignment. The thing that makes me nervous <laughs> is the bit in the syllabus where it says, I don't by the way, this is the FTC podcast, but this is also MBTS class <laughs> syllabus review. Right, okay. um, but in the syllabus it says at the start of every class you will have a writing assignment that you hand in the class. And I was thinking you're asking us to write on the fly? Yes. I, I don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> you know? Well, that's the... Uh, that's the whole point, I guess. the fun of it. That's yeah. the spark of it. And over time, you know, it just it gets you in the rhythm yeah. of, of writing. Between that and having to do the... Uh, I just remember I'll do British spelling and you can't grade down for British spelling. <laughs> I don't know. I like, I like British spelling. Okay. It's, uh, I don't know. Does British have punctuation? That's where you run into trouble, I think. <laughs> That's where I personally run into trouble. <laughs> it's and like you get the apostrophe shaker out and you just <laughs> l- l- ladle all those apostrophes out over the thing. And a lot, of my, a lot of my apostrophes turn out to be commas. Commas, That's what They I just mean. turn That's out right. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But so my semester was uh, a little bit more intense than your semester. Okay. Both Miriam and I are studying and, and we just ended up having fairly heavy reading classes. Hmm. But grades are in, grades are looking good. Yeah. So we're, we're very pleased. It, it was kind of one of those, we had just had to knuckle down and do a really tough 16 weeks. But by the end of it, we were rewarded with kind of good grades. So yeah. I did have to write a 20-page paper on whether the Jewish people in the time of Christ were legalists. 
and that oh, that okay. that definitely pushed me to my limits. So that'll um, send you like into the new perspective, new perspective on, Paul, on Paul, that Paul, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you don't have to regurgitate <laughs> your paper, but did you just say yes or did you say I, no? I said yes. They were legalists. Yeah, and I said to put it bluntly, the new perspective on Paul was pretty crazy. Mm. Um, there's a lot in there that's a bit of a mess. So yeah, yeah I said that they were legalists in the simple act of. They rejected Jesus. That's right. Yeah, you know, once you subtract, because, you know, when people start talking about the covenantal yeah. understanding. Nomism, and, yeah. Yeah, nomism. And they'll say, no, no, they really did believe in salvation by grace, et cetera, et cetera. Once you reject Christ. Then they don't believe in salvation What's the by means grace. of grace? Yep. Yeah, you, you have, it, it becomes a default legalism, yeah. I think. Well, yeah. there's my 20-page paper in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> and people got a little dose of theology yeah. in what will maybe be— okay. <laughs> A kind of a Wild West episode. Yeah. So a few weeks back, we proposed the idea that we were going to start a new feature. People have been clamoring for the pet peeves. Mm. We're, we're not bringing those we're not back. back. But we're going to introduce a new feature called the grab bag. And we'll probably you know, throw one of these in every you know couple of months or so, just like the mailbag episodes. And the idea behind the grab bag is we each bring a couple of topics to discuss or questions that we want to ask the other person to discuss but the other person doesn't know what those are. So this could go terribly because we haven't had any time to think about these things. Yeah. Or it could be fun, depending on the sort of thing that gets asked. Will it be interesting? I hope it will be interesting. Okay. We can milk this stuff. Who's going first? Who's asking the question? Who's picking the topic? I think you should go first. Ask me your— Why? Is that because you don't think I can think on the fly and you want to cover off a good start? No, no. Actually, the other way around. I think it'd okay. be a strong start because mine are a little more conversational, and I thought okay. you, you have you have a seriousness probably so, that you bring to it. <laughs> but I don't know. I, that's okay. what I'm saying. It's a grab bag. How would I know, Ross? Okay, I will give you a topic to discuss. A topic. Okay. A topic to discuss, and here's my topic. Okay. Uh, what advice would you give Christians? This is now sounding like a mailbag episode. Well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll take it out of the question and just give give a topic. Okay, Christian dating specifically between the first date, as in, hey, I like you, let's go on, let's go on a date together. Yeah, and pre-engagement. So we're not talking heading towards marriage, engagement in marriage. Advice for Christians within that sphere of dating, from first date to engagement. <laughs> So, like, what do you mean by advice? Like, what you should do on your what dates? You should, or no, what, okay. Well, just anything. It's a topic. Let's let's see where it goes. <laughs> let's what, talk about dating. Let's talk about dating. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's a I good. I don't think we've ever talked about it on I the podcast. I don't think we have either. Yeah. You know, I think where Christians often find themselves in, I won't say trouble, but just where it gets interesting is we know we don't want to treat dating like the world does, which is this, I'm just trying everybody on, and yep. it's it's sort of a you know self-centered you know pursuit of fulfillment for myself, or even just pleasure for myself, or enjoyment for myself. At the same time, we think, gosh, does every date have to have the intentionality of like, I'm going to marry this person? Do I put yeah. that pressure on this whole thing? And I, I don't think the answer is, is yes, but I do think it means that we don't treat a date as casual when yeah. it comes to the fact that we're spending time with someone who's made it in the image of God, ideally, and I think necessarily a brother or sister in Christ, that you're not just, well, you know, they look good and they're funny or, you know, yeah. but we're actually, you know, spending time with someone who we hope knows and loves Jesus. 
so I, 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 I think casual dating shouldn't be a category. Yeah. But I don't think that means that every date should be like, is this the one? Yeah. Am I going to? I mean, I guess it could be a question in the back of your head, but you don't need to load up every date with no. this sort of the weight of this needs to be going somewhere serious or we're just wasting our time. It could be that you're just spending time with a brother yeah. or sister. Yeah. You know, maybe it doesn't go anywhere romantic or towards in, engagement. And you had a good time with a brother or sister. So that, that's kind of uh, like my philosophy of yeah. dating. But now when you go on for a while with one brother or sister and you're spending a lot of time together, and I don't know what the magic number is, but certainly, yeah. you know, more than a month probably, that's when you begin thinking, okay, is there a direction that we're going? Should yeah. we begin talking more seriously or are we wasting each other's time? Because there's hearts involved. Yeah, And I think it, this isn't exclusively true, but I think especially for women, there is a a vulnerability and a tenderness there of an expectation. I think a rightful you know expectation. If a guy asks a girl out mm-hmm. more than once, more than twice, more you know you've been going out now for more than a month, she has a right to wonder: Are you just yeah. messing around? Are we just having fun, or yeah. is this going somewhere? And 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 I think she has a, a good right you know, to wonder that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And I think that timeline's interesting because, again, I I think we jump to the seriousness of this must end in marriage very quickly. You know, date one, "Mm, that didn't go well. Okay, (laughs) not getting married. (laughs) But I think there is a process that can also sometimes be unspoken of just a few dates. Hey, this is actually going really well. And then the conversation doesn't have to be after a month. Hey, do you think we're going to get married? That doesn't have to be the conversation. It can just be, We've been dating for a month now. Do you feel that this is this is still going well? Are we, you know, are right, we still right. on the same page? Is there any issues that have come up that we can kind of easily just deal with? And sometimes issues do come up and you want to work through them together. But I think one of my biggest things would be try not jump too seriously too quickly. You know, one of the things I often in this environment, people, that's a big that's, that's a that, big deal. Ring yeah, by spring and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Of deal, yeah. And, and it's also just from like, for instance, we're on a seminary campus. If you're dating someone, that the first question people are saying is, "Are you getting married?" Yeah. And actually, one of the best things to do in that season, I think, is to become very, very good friends with one another. And I'm not saying friends before dating. I'm saying as you're dating, that's one of the key things. Yeah. Actually, do you love spending time with each other? Are you finding that each day you want to actually just go for a walk, go for a meal, do those things? Because if you're going to be married for 30, 40, 50 years, I'm telling you, you're going to go on a lot of walks and a lot of meals. And if you don't enjoy that now, <laughs> do you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's it's working on that friendship and that enjoyment and that fun. Sure, have serious conversations, but I don't think a relationship should be, hey, the first six months of dating has all being serious. We're all heading towards that trajectory yeah. of marriage. We, that's what we need to focus on. Sure, that's true, but it doesn't have to infiltrate every day, every conversation, every thought. Yeah, um, I think group settings are also really important as well, not just for, you know, sake of accountability and those sorts of things, mm-hmm. you know, maintaining personal holiness and, you know, as you get closer together, but also just seeing how the other yep. person interacts with others. Are they kind? Are they sensitive to others' feelings? Are they a good listener? Yeah. Do they have to, you know, dominate the, the conversation? Yeah. Do they run over folks? When you leave those group settings, are they talking bad about people behind their backs? Yeah. You know, all those sorts of things. Yeah. That dynamic is really important because yeah. very often when it's just the two of you over and over and over again, yeah. people can kind of put on their best behavior, their dating behavior. And over time, that guard goes down a little bit. But, you know, while they're dating, they're, they're usually the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. 
And so whatever version you're getting, just imagine, like, it's going to get worse once the relationship is defined. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. I just mean, like, yep. they're going to become more themselves over time. And so, like, if, if, if there's red flags from the beginning, yeah. you know, they're not a great listener. They, they you know, push boundaries, mm-hmm. all, you know, all those sorts of things. You should know that, like, that's their dating behavior. Yep. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, like, I guess one word of caution advice. But I think the group dynamic is important mm-hmm. just from— the aspect of like brothers and sisters are part of the family of God. And so mm. you can actually see their commitment to a church and the way yeah. that they treat their other brothers and sisters and, you know, how they talk about their family and, yep. all, and all those sorts of things. And I would say even as things get more serious conversationally, it doesn't necessarily have to be about our relationship serious. Yeah. I think you do go there. But in the beginning, you know, as you get more serious, it can just be more about your spiritual life and yep. your family background and just what you think about what you want to do with your life and that's part of just getting to know yeah. each other, I think. And yeah. then just on kind of this topic, a couple of kind of more practical questions on this. What happens if you find yourselves liking one another, dates are going well, but you talked about the spiritual side. Yeah. Maybe you disagree on quite a lot of spiritual things. You know, you, you agree on the first important things. You're 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 both Christians, both both gospel believers. What happens if you're starting to find that the more time you're spending with each other, the more time hmm we're not really <laughs> on the same page of a lot of theological kind yeah. of thinking. Is that red flags? Is that good conversations? Is that just the nature of being Christians and God's grace off we can disagree? Yeah, it depends on what those things are. Almost mm. like a theological triage, I yeah. think. If it's sort of like, well, if it's first tier things, you're not dealing with a believer. But if it's second tier things, you're looking at things like, will we, if we get married, will we even be able to attend the same church, mm. be members of the same church? Like, you need to be on the same page, I think, with second you know, second order doctrines. Third order maybe depends on what it is, but, yeah. you know, some of those things I think can can yeah. work out over time. It's one of the things, you know, in premarital counseling that you work through as well, because there's things that, that folks don't think through, not necessarily like third order doctrines, like I, although I guess that could be part of it, but things mm-hmm. that couples don't often talk about, which is like, what are your expectations coming into marriage about? Yeah. Who's going to do what chores? And yeah. who's going to handle the finances? And then you start asking about family backgrounds because everyone grew up in what they assume is normal. Yeah. And it is in some sense normal, for, you know, assuming that it's not an abusive environment mm-hmm. or, you know, otherwise unhealthy or disordered. You, you may just have a normal for one household that's different than a normal for yeah. another household. Yeah. And each comes in with, well, you're abnormal and my normal is normal. <laughs> and so, you know, those are things you need to work yeah. out. And and those are the kind of little, they're not deal breakers, right? You yeah. know, just because we grew up in two different kinds of households doesn't mean we shouldn't get yep. married or, you know, be together. But certainly we need to put them on the table yeah. and, and compare contrast. I mean, Miriam and I learned very quickly we were from very different households. We, you know, we believed in the same core things, but just how we operate in life yeah. was quite different. Yeah. And even now, you know, things will come up and you would think, oh, I, I don't think I even realized that about you. And, you know, <laughs> 15 years into marriage and, you know, I'm a big believer, kind of like you were saying, you want general agreement, at least general agreement off, we can talk about this and this is not something that divides us. This is just something that we realize, hey, we actually disagree on this, but I'm going to try and convince you. And you kind of almost have that loving, let's keep talking about this. Yeah. Thoughts on, um, this is the sort of practicality question, mm. but like go out on a date, who pays? Do you know, I have just had a conversation recently with somebody <laughs> about this. Um, so I'll give the example and this is why I give the advice. When I went on the first date with Miriam, I was such a catch. I had 10 pounds <laughs> in my in my bank account, which is about $12. We went to Pizza Hut. That was our first date. Okay. And the pizza was 10 pounds. So I was able to afford the pizza and I was just praying that Miriam did not buy a drink because if she got a drink, <laughs> I didn't have the money for it and we would have to go halves. Mm. Um, but here, here's the thing. There is definitely pressure on the guy yeah. to to pay for everything. 
I think this is a good conversation after maybe date two, three type thing. I think on the first date, guys, if you want to take a girl out for a dinner or coffee, pay for it. Be prepared to put some money aside. Don't buy certain things, you know, cancel your Netflix subscription, whatever it is so that you can afford to do that. But there might come a point in your dating, I don't know where that timeline is, but an open conversation should be had of, hey, just so you know, this is where I am financially. I would love to keep going out to do things. Can we filter in some free things, go for walks, do different things? I don't know if I'll be able to pay for everything, but I would like to be able to do that. And the reality is, I, this is me personally, specifically girls, don't put that pressure on when that conversation comes. Start thinking about actually how can we do this together? Not, uh, you know, I'll pay for my coffee, you pay for your coffee, but just more in a, hey, I would really like to go, I don't know, I would really like to go to the theatre at my treat this time. And, you know, you want to be trying to share yeah. that. But rather than being, I'll do mine, you do yours, it's a, hey, guy, you, you know, you've you've taken me on three meals. I would really like to go to the theatre. I really wanted to see this film, my treat. I, I think that comes in after a few dates. Yeah. And I think that's healthy because I also have seen a lot of guys that will dig themselves a hole financially trying to pay for everything. Oh, I and you. I don't think that's a good idea. So either guys pay for everything and dig yourself a hole <laughs> be be open and say i can't yeah. pay for everything so we're going to have to do some free stuff right or be, creative, yeah. be open and say how do you feel about sharing the cost on these sorts of things yeah that, it's, it's a choice i personally don't think i should pay for absolutely everything it's a choice that what uh, of those again? three options of kind of pay for everything okay, yeah, and yeah. struggle pay for some things and do free things or share the burden of the cost together I just don't think that first option's correct. I don't think you should pay for every single day, every single thing that goes on. Having said that, if you're looking to date somebody, check your finances. What are you actually (laughs) spending money on? I'm pretty sure you all have some form of Prime, Netflix, Disney, whatever you're watching. (laughs) You, You know, what's your phone contract? How many dollars are you spending on that? Do you know? Cut costs so you can afford to pay for things. I got an email this morning of an auto renew for a magazine subscription Uh that I didn't know was set for auto (laughs) renew. And it was fine. It's, it's, but it came up and I was like, I got to cancel that. I don't, I I don't want that. It just came up. Hey, Becky might want a coffee. So you need to get that canceled. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think default should be man pays. Certainly I'm not in favor of a guy digging himself into a financial hole. If you know, you don't need to Mm -hmm. go into debt or, or put yourself in a bind to do that. But, I think that should be the norm and it shouldn't be a discussion in the beginning, perhaps later as you get to know each other better, especially if the relationship is actually developing. Mm. Then you can begin having these, you know, sort of conversations about like, you know, can we share yeah. some of these or, you know, it's a one-off here and there. She's going to, like you said, ah, oh, you know, I'll treat, you know, yeah. this or that. But I think normatively the guy should pay. And I think it's okay for women to expect that generally. Anything else? Uh, no, that I, I'm I'm kind of hit okay. me with your with your question. Well, my your question's topic. gonna I mean we'll see where this goes, but I'm um, a bit nervous. It's a pretty basic question. I oh, just don't thought, say that. I don't know what to say now. Well I thought we would just discuss our favorite books of the Bible. What's your favorite oh, wow. what's your favorite book of the Bible? Oh. Yeah. So see? so I have two. Okay, that's fine. So and it's and, a grab bag, man. Yeah, yeah. Grab two books. And so and two for very different reasons. Okay. So I love the book of Ruth. I have preached Ruth, I don't know, maybe three or four times. And and I've preached in very different ways, you know, as a whole book, as a, as chapters, breaking it down into multiple sermons. But I just love 
the the trajectory of the story, and I love what God is doing. Yet it's not necessarily obvious in the text yeah. what he's doing. I love that he takes ultimately a broken family and heals it to be a family that's not just healthy but has eternal significance. And I think I resonate that with that just because of my own background of our own kind of broken home and, and my dad dying younger and, and, and just recognizing that the pain that Ruth and Naomi would have been going through, but then the beauty of seeing that God has created this healthy family with Boaz and Ruth. And I just think of you know Miriam and I and our kids, and I love that trajectory personally. I also really like how blunt Naomi is. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. and that's, that's call very, me bitter. Call me bitter. <laughs> you know, I'm frustrated yeah. with the Lord. Yeah. Hey, Ruth, you need to go, go and talk to Boaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is now my child. You, you know, there, there is this sense of you get real raw emotions from Naomi. And, and I love that. I love that before God, she is showing what she has. She is saying, I'm bitter. I'm happy. I'm pleasant. I'm not. I'm struggling. She shows those emotions. And, and I think that's just really helpful for us to remember that that God is wanting to see the real us. In fact, he knows the real us. We don't have to hide yeah, those things. Yeah. I also, just another reason I like the Book of Ruth is every time I've preached it, it's impacted people because I think someone sees themselves somewhere in those relationships. You know, the, the dad that's running away from the, the trial and not facing it, the, the death scenes, the... That I don't know if I've got a strange relationship with my family. Should I leave? Should I not? Should I marry this guy? Should I not? I can't marry him. There's financial difficulty, whatever. There's there's always stuff in there that people can resonate with. And and I find that just really powerful to preach the book of Ruth and see the changes that happens in people's lives. Yeah, that's good. Do you want to say yours before I say my second or would you like my second one? Well, yeah, no, because I, I mean, I, I won't say a whole lot, but okay. it's probably Galatians. Okay. I actually, I mean, it's an interesting question because... Like you, I'm kind of like, wow, I really like Matthew. I don't even mm. Just keep going back and forth. I like Galatians quite a bit. I've preached through the book a couple of times. And you get like, it, it's it's like Romans in concentrate yeah. or something. You get yeah. the the covenantal. You get, of course, the you know full 100-proof gospel mm. there. It's sort of like Romans in polemic form. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got that whole flavor to it. And, but then it ends with, you know, this great sort of how the Spirit applies this stuff to our hearts yeah. and and the work of sanctification and how it works out in the life of the church and all that sort of thing. So I really love oh. Galatians. It's real punchy. It's yeah. strong. Luther's commentary on Galatians I really enjoy. Mm. So that's probably what I would pick. So okay. what's your second one? My second one is the letter of Philippians. Okay. So again, a book I've preached a couple of times now. So many reasons in there. I, I love the gospel presentation in Philippians 2, yeah. and I love how it ends in that trajectory of, of Christ being glorified. And I just love that, that you know, it starts, wow, you know, he's humbled himself and, and oh, it ends with him glorified. You know, it's <laughs> right. just great presentation. But I also, again, I like the realness of the addressing a church. I, I love the realness of, I know that you've been acting selfishly towards one another. Philippians 2, let's, let's not behave in that way. Let's behave in a different way. I love in Philippians 4, we're never told what these two women are fighting over. We just we just know that they're not agreeing. And and that after three chapters of presenting what gospel living looks like, we're just told these women should agree in the gospel. You know, it's not like, it's <laughs> right. basically stop yeah. fighting stop because fighting. the gospel overruns yeah. all of that. I love the boldness of Paul to be witnessing to the imperial guard. Just the, the whole 
letter is just rich with the gospel's changed Paul's life. It's changing the imperial guard's life. It's changing the church's life. Yeah. It's changing these women's lives. And, and right in the middle, this Philippians 2 of, and this is what the gospel is and, and mm. Jesus is presented. So I, I love the letter of Philippians. I also love certain quotes in it as well. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and disputing. It's oh. a great verse to just throw out there when someone's frustrating you. It's a great you. verse for social media. Uh, yeah, it's just like, uh, hey, calm down, Philippians 2.14. Yeah. I, I really like, right, just just that chapter four is probably a highlight to me. I've, I've used that in so many pastoral counseling situations of, I get that you're frustrated with this person. Yeah. I, I totally understand. In fact, to some extent, this world will say you have a right. But Philippians 4 says, kind of, Get a grip of yourself and, and kind of get on with it because in Christ, you are to forgive those individuals. So, yeah, I really love Philippians. I, I Like you, there's so many other parts of the Bible that <laughs> I, I love. Know. But if, if I was to elevate to, to say, if, if you said to me, hey, Ross, I need you to preach tonight. Yeah. I'm probably going to one of those two books to, to, to pull something from them. Ruth or Philippians. Philippians. Yep. Good deal. Yeah, the background for Philippians too, when you like mm-hmm. read the story of how the church began, and yeah, the different little yeah pieces that I'm, you know, demoniac girl and the jailer, yep. and yeah, yeah, is really they build up to that. Just beautiful. It's a great church planters letter if you mm-hmm, ever want mm-hmm. to kind of go into church planting because one, it is ultimately a church plant. It's just a few families <laughs> right. and, you know come together, know Christ, and then a church has started. But also those early days of frustrations and trying to navigate growing a church with all these different personalities. Great, great letter to teach through in a church plant. Yeah. Okay, so is it my turn to ask <clears throat> you? Just to check, we're only doing yeah, two we're each? we're only doing two each. Okay, yeah. so because I, I brought a few more just in case. I mean, that's good backup because, like, in the, if in the future we do one of these episodes, if we just like, well, that's all I want to say about that. Yeah. We're, we're over at 10 minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. We, we can pull some more out of the um, grab bag. Okay. So I want to talk about church finances. Okay. Uh, all right. And so he, here's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm, I'm the worst guy to, to talk about church because <laughs> I'm not a finance guy at all. But okay. okay. So here's what I'm thinking. As long as that's like big picture stuff. Okay. It is big picture okay, stuff. All right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about this financial line. Okay. No. Um, so we know that often big ticket numbers in a church will be salaries and, and, and management of the church building and the church staff. Yeah. That's often big ticket items. But whether this is maybe a percentage or whether this is you just thinking through what this would reflect in, how should the care of others, so we're thinking benevolence and just general care of others, and the spreading of the gospel, whether that's global missions and evangelism locally, feature in a yearly budget? How how should they come out, whether you want to say a percentage or whether you want to just talk about overarching, how should our budget look when we consider the care of others and the spreading of the gospel? It's a good question. And it's something that, I mean, this is ages ago, my church plant, we really wrestled with and came up with an initiative that was largely directed by the great commandment, that we would love God, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that we would love others as we love ourselves, Mm. which I was convicted meant that we needed to spend at least as much money on others as we spent on ourselves. Mm. We called it the Bold is Love wow. campaign. So we didn't launch with this idea, but I showed up to our team and said, I, I believe the Lord would like us to give mm-hmm. at least 50% of our income, send it back out the door, missions causes yeah. and local community support causes, which we all just designated as local mission. We didn't have yeah. a benevolence fund. That was something I probably should have yeah. thought through. Although we certainly, when people ask for help, we would usually just pull the resources we had. Mm. We didn't have like a budgeted thing. The church was small enough that we would just like, how can we help this person yeah. together? 
And we walked away deciding to give 60% mm-hmm. because we wanted to love others more than we love ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of interesting, important things to throw in. I was pastoring for free, so I didn't take a salary. Yep. So there was a huge, you know, you know, allowance there. We didn't have a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. um, our church, because it was a small church. But that freed up. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we certainly probably, you know, could not have done 60%, I don't think, if I was taking a salary. Yeah. And even beyond that, even without me taking a salary, it it hamstrung us. Mm. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. You know, when you're giving sacrificially, maybe it should feel like a sacrifice. Yeah. What I've heard of churches doing, and so I throw that out there, not as like, this is what I think every church should do, mm. or every church is able to do, even able to do this, but... It, we were just trying to answer the question, how do yeah. we love others as much as we love ourselves? Yeah. And other people's answer may be different, but I just think you have to answer the question. Yes. I'm aware of a church in Nashville at this time as well. My church plant was in Nashville, but there's another church in Nashville that was a mega church. I mean, they had multiple mm-hmm. thousands of people. They became similarly convicted. Well, they couldn't, hey, next year we're giving 60%. Yeah. But they began an incremental. Yes. They said, we're going to you know, set a, a, a good goal. Mm. That we can that we can do, and then every year we're go, we're committing to increase that by, and yeah. I don't know what it was, but you know, two, three, five percent, something like that. Every year we're going to bump that up, yeah. and we're just going to keep bumping that up and bumping that up, so that it's a way to increase that, ease into understanding that mm. th- this is a value for us, but we're limited by what we've already enshrined yeah. financially. I don't know what the answer is for every church. Mm. I just think every church needs to answer the question in 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 their own context, in their own way to say, do we think our budget yeah. reflects loving others as mm. we love ourselves? Yeah. And if it's no, you don't need to panic, but you need to start thinking Make some through, changes. Yeah, yeah, how do we work towards that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah in my last church, we kind of did something similar in that we ended up aiming for 50-50. And the way we kind of got to it was 50% is kind of internal salaries, building, you know, all that type of yeah. things. 50% is external. What we're trying to do is, uh, can we obviously see this as reaching out globally, locally, helping or spreading the gospel, one or the other? And one of the things we tried to look at was generosity. So when we are often looking at something, we'll say, you know, I don't know, just an example, you know, a family in the church is struggling. They need, you know, $300 to be able to, to survive this next month. What we were thinking as a church is, one, that's the whole need. So we want to cover the whole need. But also, what does generosity look like? What does it look like in Christ's example of giving him in his entire self for us? Yeah. So we started going, well, if the need's 300, we should probably give 450 because we want to cover the need and we want to ensure that the need doesn't ever come back up again. And actually, when we start, started talking about extreme generosity, the church really got on board. Do you know, even when we came down to, you know, last year we gave 10,000 to this mission. Do we think that's generous? Do, do we think we're actually giving at a level that we could honestly say, wow, that, that's a lot and I can't believe we can do that. And suddenly just missions just skyrocketed. So I think in, in our church, we had something like 120,000 budget, something like that. And out of the 120,000, we were maybe giving 10,000 externally. When we redid the budget, it jumped to 30,000. And it was just overnight it jumped. Yeah. And I know they're still continuing that even after I've left. And, and I think that's a good way of thinking. You don't necessarily need a percentage. You don't necessarily need to think in terms of budget lines, but just answering the question, what does it look like to be going out as much as we're going in? Yeah. Whether, you know, loving out as we're loving in. And yeah, I, I think it's a good question to ask. And I would agree with you. If, if your budget doesn't reflect this, don't just cut things 
straight away for next year. Start thinking through how you can change things yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. The other thing that complicates ability to do this is if the more complex the church gets. Mm-hmm. So that was another advantage that our church plan had was we were committed from the beginning. Like I planted with the simple church concept, mm-hmm. yeah, which is to say like we're just going to do three things basically. Well, that meant we didn't have a host of programs and things. Yeah. So as a church grows, typically somebody's got an idea. That's a great idea. You want to run with that. And I mean, it, it comes from a sincere and good place, yeah. but like we want to empower people. We want people to feel like they're contributing to the church. And so what happens is we create this program or we create a ministry for that or that sort of thing. After a while, a church has all has this gigantic structure and everything has a budget line. Yeah. Now there's money committed to all of these things. It's just so difficult yeah. now, first of all, to—I mean, there's a host of problems that come with that sometimes. You know, things outlive yeah. their resonance or their usefulness or sometimes even people's motivation to mm-hmm. <laughs> engage in them. But— there's a heart attached to the thing, so yeah. you can't cut the program now. Yeah. So you're a bloated church, and it, it, it makes it more difficult. But it also, if there's, like, finances tied to everything, yeah. it makes it more difficult yeah. to, you know, direct that money yeah. in, in places that are more needy. One of the other things, I guess, the last thought I have on this is just we also stopped asking the church for money for specific things. So say, again, we actually had some missionaries in training. We, we stopped asking out loud, hey— this month they need this or something like that. We just started taking it from the budget. We started saying, this is the money we've got and we're going to use it until it runs out. And then when it runs out, then we'll go and talk to the church. And our viewpoint was, if the church are already sacrificially giving, we don't want to ask more and more and more. I got you. you know, we're not going every member's meeting. We need the money for this. We need the money for this. When budget lines started running out, we would just say, hey, church, we have been generous. We've covered needs. As you can see, the budget line's running out. If you feel the Lord is leading you to give more, go ahead. And what we found is that actually taking that load off of here's another need and here's another need and just trust the leadership to cover all those needs because, you know, you've prayed the budget in, you've given the budget, you've prayed the leaders, you know, trust that they're going to do that, that we found that actually we were ended up giving more because people didn't feel the drain of constantly giving. They felt the excitement of, wow, you know, where our budget's running out, we've got to give more because we've got to do more, you know. And I'm not talking programs, I'm talking evangelism, missionary support, benevolence, that type of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Hit me with your <laughs> last topic. Well, it's going to feel very lightweight compared oh, no. to these uh, topics. Yeah, I wanted to know, what did the, the boy, Ross, want to do when he grew up? When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? We have gone very different directions <laughs> with our questions. <laughs> I thought it'd be a good, interesting, kind of chit-chatty do, question to Do you know on. that last night— And maybe several things. That's fine. Last night, Miriam actually said to me, I think you should just ask these questions. I went, nah, those are too light. Jared will want a deep <laughs> conversation. Turns out, Miriam was right. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring serious questions, yeah. which is why I brought more chit-chatty ones. <laughs> Growing up, I wanted to be one, one of two things. And, I, you know, I always enjoyed sports and things like that, but they, they were enjoyment. I didn't have the ball. Boyhood, I want to be a football player, you know, gotcha. or a soccer player for Americans. But the the two things I really wanted to be was I wanted to follow my dad's footsteps and I wanted to be a policeman. So he had served in the Royal Air Force and then retired out of the Royal Air Force and, and then served in the local police in Edinburgh. And I wanted to follow suit. That really strengthened as an idea after my dad died. I, I really wanted to do that. And in fact, when I met Miriam, I think we were engaged at the point I actually applied to be in Edinburgh Police. But I got rejected on medical grounds because I had a pretty severe break on my left arm and it's kind of rebuilt with metal. And on medical grounds, they they won't take, or at that time, they didn't take anyone with 
severe kind of injuries. Interesting. Um, because I, I guess, you know, serving in the police, you might be injured again type thing. So yeah, that was, I, I was a big dream of mine. I mean, I would say years of, you know, I think partly to make my dad proud, you know, partly yeah. that was in the mind and partly to kind of, you know, father, son type thing. The other one was, and you couldn't have got more different. I wanted to be an investment banker. Um, <laughs> Not so, off like like when you were a kid. When like I, I was knew a kid, you did this a little bit. Yeah, you were in finance before you yeah, entered ministry. No, but. as as a teenager. Okay. Yeah. So I I've always really enjoyed <laughs> numbers, but not in a kind of like maths kind of in a classroom setting that, that's not the type of thing I've enjoyed I've enjoyed spreadsheets and understanding how that's why my question okay. was on church yeah, finance I guess so so I've really I enjoyed that but yeah I also found a knack at it I, I kind of was quite good at that type of thing so in high school I did all the business classes all the economics classes I went and did a master's in economics at the time of leaving university I actually was offered a, a training position for an investment banker at the Royal Bank of Scotland. So that that was the trajectory. Miriam and I were getting married and and I was going to be an investment banker. And at the last minute, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland pulled all the jobs because it was a financial credit crunch in the UK. Wow. So every single training job was pulled. So I was out, outside of investment banking. I actually then went into recruitment and, and recruited for people in finance in, in London, which was great. You got the best of both worlds. You got to be in finance, but not in the insecure kind of world of investment banking. I still hold an interest. I still keep an eye on various stocks and shares and different companies and try and understand the kind of financial world. I would say it's almost kind of a, a background hobby in, in, in the back of my mind. So those were the kind of two jobs I wanted to growing up. What I will say is when I did grow up, and I would say even now, I would, if I wasn't able to pastor, I think I've said this before to you, if I wasn't able to pastor or, or do any kind of Christian ministry, I would cut grass for a living. <laughs> okay. I I cut grass when I was a student. I cut grass when Miriam and I were early married. I, I love lawnmowers. I love straight lines. I, I love you know, cutting grass and turning around and thinking that is a perfect job. I know you absolutely hate cutting grass, but for me, it is one of those things of genuinely lawn care for me. Okay. I, I would have my own lawn care business. Interesting. So those are the three the three roles I've I've always kind of wanted to do. And okay. God hasn't given me any of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> well no, that's good. It was interesting. Yeah, I just wondered. Yeah. So what what would boyhood Jared Wilson? The earliest that I can remember thinking that's what I want to do, I was probably three or four wow. because, and what I remember is sitting on the back stoop of our house and watching the garbage trucks go down the mm -hmm. alleyway, which, you know, little boys love yeah. watching trucks and yeah. construction things. I wanted to be a garbage man because I thought nothing could be cooler than riding on the back of a truck. Standing Those on the back of guys were on the back yeah. of the trucks as they went by. That's probably the earliest thing. Like, I want to be uh -huh. a garbage man. Nobody really aspires to be a garbage yeah. man. Although I hear they make quite a quite good a bit amount of money. of money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, but when I was like in the first grade, that was the first inclination. Like I want to mm. be an author. Mm. That, wow. uh, so it started really early of like, I want to write books. Yeah. I love books. I love reading. And I, I, to the extent I was able at six or seven, I like to write. And yeah. I thought I want to be, I want to write books like these books that I'm And now you reading. have your dream job. My dream job came true. When I was called into ministry, I was in junior high school, and at that time, the kind of writer I wanted to be, I wanted to write for comic books, which was a little different, yeah. you know. I mean, I wanted to be a writer, but I just, I loved comics, and I thought it'd be the coolest thing in the world to write for Batman or something yeah. like that. So, <laughs> have you, um, do you, have yeah. you seen the, the Action Bible, which is like the <laughs> yes, comic? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. 
from your life? Do you want to write a better version? No, no. Um, and probably somebody who's listening has some connection to yeah. that. So I don't I won't, You won't I won't say any going. comments. No, no, no. I've got friends who've done graphic novels yeah. and things like that. I've actually thought about, you know, different yeah. things like that. You, I, you know, actually, I'll throw an idea out there. We'll okay. see if somebody likes this idea. There was a comic series. I think it began as graphic novels, but there was a comic series. They actually even made a bad movie out of it, I think, called The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Are you uh-huh. familiar with this? Yeah. I think Sean Connery was in, yeah. the, in, in, in the movie. Sean Connery. But it was yeah. like um, these different famous either detective. I, yeah. think it, I mean, I don't remember who it all it was, but it was like Sherlock Holmes and yeah. Van Helsing and different people from different literary things were all together as a team. Yeah. I wanted to do one with the Inklings. Okay. So you have Lewis and Tolkien yeah. and Charles Williams and yeah. you know Dorothy Sayer, you know, whoever. Owen Barfield, the, these guys together, like solving crimes and getting in these little, you know, <laughs> you know, twee adventures that they would be, you know, ill suited yeah. for, but brought together. The Inklings suddenly yeah. get wrapped up in a mystery or an adventure, and you know, I thought maybe it could be a cool graphic novel. It probably wouldn't sell beyond things like Midwestern Seminary yeah. and that sort of thing. But that was my idea for a okay. cool comic book series. Okay. Yeah. I, did you ever do kind of the sports dream? I play a sport and I really want to because you're, I you're feel gonna, like a lot of kids have that. Yeah, you're going to laugh. Cause so, I mean, when I was when I first started playing sports as a little kid, it was it was soccer. That's mm-hmm. where we, you started playing. So I played soccer for like four or five years. And yeah, and so, yeah, I just thought yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a professional soccer player. Yeah. In fact, I even found some like school book thing where I wrote in there like, I, you know, I'm a, I want to play pro soccer. And yeah. That sort of thing. That dream, I grew yeah. up, you know, when I was yeah. a boy, I thought I was a boy. Yeah. And so later, my sports were basketball and football. And I did for a hot minute think, I would love to yeah, play basketball. Mm. But, yeah, things don't always like, just because you're good as a kid doesn't mean you're great. You're going to be NBA. Yeah. I at least had that mentality. Yeah. So I enjoyed playing. And then once I got into high school, I just played pickup games. Like, I didn't yeah. even play on the high school team. I just played, you know, pickup games on the weekend and things. So I've seen you shoot hoops. Dream. Well, you saw me shoot hoops after like 20 years of not shooting hoops, so we won't go there. But give me a couple yeah. of weeks to get up to speed. And I'll we'll, just say we'll be glad the that the other dream came true. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking of dreams, your listener, did you enjoy this grab bag episode? Was it all of you, know, all you dreamed of? If it was, leave us a good review. It's actually been a little while. It's been about a month or so. Yeah. We've only had like a couple, couple reviews, of reviews come in, so I need to lay the guilt trip on again. Quit being a freeloader. Leave <laughs> us a review. Tell us what you think about the grab bag. Should we do it again? Should we do the grab bag again? We are going to do it again at okay. least one more time, but unless people just hate it. But let us know. Like it, hate it, love the show, don't love the show. Leave us a, a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.